Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Hey, welcome to another edition of the Mafia Mavens podcast, a Buffalo Bills podcast from an all-female perspective. Today, we are going to stray a little bit from the normal Bills talk that we actually do most every other week because there's something that we really, really think that we need to discuss here. It's a very heavy, deep issue, and it's something that has touched all of us in every sport fans of every sport, and people who weren't even fans of sports in the world. And that is the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the other people who were on board the helicopter with him. So to start, I want to say that I do believe Kobe Bryant was a transcendent athlete in that he really, truly inspired athletes, pros, non-pros, college, high school, peewee even, across every single sport, basketball, baseball, football, golf even. I mean, any kind of athletic sport, he inspired people because he was the kind of guy he would get up at three o'clock in the morning and start practice at four o'clock in the morning so that he had a head start on all of his competitors. He knew what it took to win and he practiced that daily in his life. So that's something that I think that everyone can relate to. And, you know, my brother and I were talking and it's, we talked about how there were so many kids that he kept off of the streets and off of drugs so that they could work hard and pursue their dream and fulfill it one day. And that alone is just an amazing, amazing, amazing thing for someone to do because not to be, but you see celebrities out there and yeah, sometimes their music might inspire you, but how many you know, bands out there or people out there, they sing about sex and drugs and violence and just things that aren't promoting a healthy, happy lifestyle or helping others. But Kobe, that wasn't him. Do you know what I mean? He was out there on the court. He was practicing all the time. He was doing his thing. He was one of the best of all time, but he was also out there doing other things. He was fulfilling hundreds of make-a-wish kids' wishes or setting up multiple charities all over, you know, just doing things like that, that I I read a tweet from a guy who said that like back in September, he had a really bad car accident and Kobe Bryant happened to stop and he stayed there with them until he made sure that everything was okay. And that's something that I'm sorry, but I believe that a lot of celebrities would just keep on driving and would be like, well, not my problem. I'm too rich to care. And yeah, I might sound cynical, but this world has kind of made me cynical in that sense. So before I go into any other discussion, I do kind of want to read some tweets from some Bills players that were really upset by the death of Kobe Bryant and his daughter, just to show you a little bit of how it impacted our own favorite team. So Josh Allen tweeted out, just an emoji of a broken heart. 
because sometimes you can't even have the words to explain how you're feeling when something like this happens. Cody Ford, rest in peace for the Bryant family. Rest in peace, 24, goat. Hashtag Mamba mentality. Ed Oliver, Kobe, this can't be real. Jordan Poyer, heavy, heavy heart for the Bryant family today. Rest in peace, Mamba. And then Matt Barkley, with my favorite tweet, said, no, not Kobe Bryant. This is devastating. He defined my generation. Hashtag rest in peace. And that tweet right there is, I felt that. You know, they have people tweeting out from like my generation saying, whenever you would have a wadded up piece of paper and you'd throw it in the wastebasket, you'd throw it and you'd yell Kobe because like, that's what we did. And it's not like a celebrity worship or a celebrity idol. I mean, for me, I've never shed a tear over a celebrity death. This was different. I cried. I cried real tears for Kobe and his daughter and the rest of the people on the helicopter because it was such a sudden thing and such a shock. And he was such a good guy. And all he ever did was live his dream and taught everyone that you can achieve your goals if you work hard. And he was such a great father to his little girls. And it's, it was a generation thing. And this is just what so many people in their lives aspired to be. I want to be like Kobe. Josh Allen said the same thing. I want to be a leader like Kobe. I watch his documentary all the time. It's something different than, say, when Michael Jackson died or when Prince died. Yeah, everybody was sad and upset and, you know, things like that. But not to be, but with some celebrities, for me, you almost feel like you're waiting for their death to come because half of them are involved so heavily in, in drugs and that lifestyle that it's like, it's inevitable. And of course, death is inevitable for all of us, but sometimes it, you know, celebrities' lives are cut a little bit shorter because of that. This was something completely different. You know, he was a role model to many, many people, including myself. And he did a lot of great things and he was taken away. And then that was it. Danielle, you bring up a really good point here when you talk about the inevitability of death. And I'm going to get into some detail in this podcast because I believe that this is a teaching opportunity, an educational opportunity. And Kobe, I believe, in his death would want it to mean something mm -hmm. beyond just having this overwhelming reaction to his death. There's so many things about this that kind of trigger me for a lot of reasons. And maybe the first thing I should say is my background a little bit for anybody that doesn't know me. I was an oncology nurse since the mid-1970s. I became a psychotherapist in the 90s and primarily dealt with people that had chronic health issues and a lot of hospice work over the years. And my husband is a retired emergency medicine physician. So between the two of us, we have a really different view of the whole process of death and dying than probably most people do. And when Kobe died, I didn't have kind of the same reaction that most other people do. I wasn't shocked. Um, I was surprised. And I think there's a difference between being startled by something and being like overwhelmed by something. But as you pointed out, and I think it's very true, Kobe Bryant inspired people in a lot of different ways. He may have inspired people as his role in basketball. He may have inspired people in terms of how you overcome adversity. Mm -hmm. 
for example, when he was accused of rape, how he came back from that and became the man that he was until the last breath that he took. So there are so many different aspects of, of this issue in terms of celebrity death and what it means that I think it is really important that we take the time to examine our feelings and try to understand why we react the way that we do. And you made some good points in our production meeting in terms of why this hit you as hard as it did. You were talking about you know, your, your conversation you had with your brother um, about keeping kids off the street and, and what a role model that Kobe was. I think for you, wasn't it kind of a hometown guy? Kobe was from Philly, wasn't he? Yeah, he actually went to high school in Ardmore, which is right outside of Philadelphia. So he was actually like a hometown hero. And I had said this on Twitter, but there was actually a basketball game. My high school, I believe it was 1995, played against his high school in a big game. And we beat them. But that was Kobe Bryant was in that game. And I remember that like everyone in our entire city, we had banners up for all the players on our basketball team in high school. There were uh, we were the Cougars. So in one part of the city, the busiest part of the city, people would buy these paw prints that they would paint on the streets, on the roads of our city. And they would pay for them and then they would put like players' names inside of them or, you know, family members' names, whoever's names that you wanted would be inside these paw prints. But that's how big this game was. And the fact that you think back on it, you're like, oh my goodness, one of the men that they played against in this game turned out to be an absolute legend was just insane. So yeah, he was definitely sort of like a hometown hero kind of guy. And I also went to college in Philadelphia. So It was a big thing. And one of my friends on Facebook, actually, on his way to work the day after Kobe had passed, he went by his high school and stopped a few moments of silence for him and took a picture and everything. So, Wow. Well, it illustrates how different that this death has impacted people in different ways. For you, there is a local connection. For other people who may not be from the area, they may focus on, again, his basketball play. They may focus on how he overcame adversity, how he became such a great dad and leader in the community. There are a lot of different ways that you can go with this. But the one message that I really feel compelled almost to bring up every time a death like this happens is for people to understand that we live in a really death-phobic culture. And Part of the reason why people respond the way that they do is because many people, and I probably would even say most, don't have their sense of self set around the issue of death and dying. It's a huge taboo topic in our culture, and it's something to be feared. It's something to be dreaded. You know, it's the worst possible thing that can happen. Well, I'm here to tell you from years of experience, it will happen. You know, until we're at a point where we can turn death around, it's going to happen. And responsible adults take the next step in their life to take responsibility for controlling their own death as best they can. And by that, I'm talking about making sure that you have all of your paperwork in order because you don't know when it's going to be your time any more than Kobe knew that it was going to be his time. And it's amazing to me to listen to how many people will say, oh my gosh, I can't imagine this. I can't imagine that. Well, 
my message is you better. It's time. If you're over 25 years old, and yes, I mean when I say 25 years old, or even if you have, you're younger than that and you have children. 18, Robin. 18. I think if you, as soon as you become an adult, that's when you get your stuff in order because you never know. That's exactly right. And I'm here to tell you from years and years and hundreds of experiences literally with this process that when you have a traumatic death, especially if you have something like cancer, I used to tell people this is sort of a twisted way of saying you have a gift because you're given time. You know, many times if you have a serious cancer, you still have at least months to live, if not years. But a sudden death, you can't plan for that. And they do happen. And Socially, we just really don't do a very good job of making people accountable and responsible for making sure that their paperwork is in place. And by paperwork, I mean two different things. Number one, what something called a durable power of attorney for medical purposes. And what that is, is a legal document which outlines what type of medical care you would want under varying degrees of circumstances. For example, if you have a terminal illness, do you want to be resuscitated? Do you want to have CPR, you know, if you're in the hospital? Those kinds of things. Those should be in place because if they're not, that decision is left to the next of kin. And it doesn't matter if you, I'm just going to say this straight up, it doesn't matter what you tell somebody that you love. I don't want this. I don't want that. If you don't put it in writing, number one, it may or may not happen. But number two, it may become very difficult for that person to be able to make that decision on their own because they're so paralyzed emotionally with what's going on. And to place that burden on someone that you love is not a good thing to do. And I can't tell you how many hundreds of times, literally, I have been through this experience with family members who are struggling at the last minute to try to figure out what their loved one wanted. So when a situation like this happens, I try to take every opportunity I can to share with people how important it is to grow up and be a big adult and take responsibility and make sure that you don't dump this stuff off on family members. You're you're absolutely right about that. And it's something that, well, I have a big family and I can't tell you the amount of people in my family who have passed away by freak accidents under the age of 30. I've lost so many cousins and I had an aunt who was who was murdered and shot. And, you know, a cousin who fell into power lines when he was working and, you know, another cousin who overdosed. I mean, they're just and I could keep going and going and going. And, you know, even my own father was only 64 when he passed away. Really, by today's standards, that's not old. It better not be. Right. It better not be. Exactly. (laughs) You know that well, well, Robin. So I'm 64. So. Right. Exactly. You're you're sticking around for a long time, though. I need you here. here. So. (laughs) But but yeah, you're right. Things happen all the time. And, you know, I saw a lot on Twitter, a lot of people saying, no, not Kobe. I thought he'd be invincible. Or I thought, you know, but none of us are invincible. And that's the sad fact of life. And I feel like there are some people out there who haven't experienced a lot of death. You know, maybe they have had their grandparents pass away, which is sad, but we get old and we die, you know, and I hate to say it so bluntly, but that's what happens. But then there are a lot of cases where like Kobe Bryant, it's some kind of freak accident that takes you well before 
your time on earth was supposed to be at, you know, or his poor daughter who was only 13 years old, things like that happen. And I worked for a law firm and, you know, one of my roles was I did estate planning. So I did a lot of the wills and the power of attorneys and the living wills and things like that. And I can't tell you how many times one person would come in to do all that stuff. Once they got done talking to the attorney and to myself, they realized, oh, I'm getting the rest of my family in here to do this too, because it's needed. Or we'd get calls on the phone saying, hey, my dad passed away, but he didn't have a will. Or we'd get calls on the phone saying, my mom is sick in the hospital and she's she's paralyzed and she's in a coma or they don't know if she's going to make it. And we don't know what to do. Well, does she have a living will? No. Well, it's really, really hard to guide people when things like that happen and nothing's in place. So I agree 100% with what you said. And to add to that, you know, I think Kobe kind of agreed with that because he was on a podcast and he was talking about why he wore the number 24. Now, he originally had a different number and he switched to that number 24 after all the bad stuff happened to him because he said he wanted like a fresh start. But about that number, he said, it carried a significance because it was about approaching every day as if it was my last. And I had to have that mentality. Every time I look at that number, it's like today is the most important day. Today is the day. There's one day. That's it. And I think that he fully embraced that mentality. And so I think to all of the listeners, I think everyone should embrace that mentality. And like you said, if you don't have your stuff in order, you should get your stuff in order. And not like we're trying to preach to the choir or anything like that. But, you know, we love all of you and we care about all of you. And we just want you to do what's best for yourself and your family. Well, big time, because I think people don't realize how difficult it is to try to negotiate your way through when there's an emergency going on. And that is not the time when you want to have these kinds of discussions. You want to have these kinds of discussions ahead of time Mm -hmm. so that there's no surprises. There's no secrets. Everybody's on the same page. And that can be a real issue. And in my own life, I have an example of that because when my father, he had a aortic aneurysm that ripped on the inside. It didn't completely rupture through, but he had to have emergency surgery. It was very serious. He had nothing in place in terms of paperwork, despite the fact that I begged him to. And I was left making a decision about whether or not he should be resuscitated, should he go into cardiac arrest after surgery. Well, I know my father from the discussions we had, he would not have wanted that to take place, especially if it would have meant that he would have been in a vegetative state or in a nursing home. Mm -hmm. That was just not what he wanted to have done. And my half-sister, when time came and they asked about the DNR, And I stepped up and said, no, um, he wouldn't want the DNR. And my sister said, yes, he would, or I want it. Um, I don't even remember exactly what she said. But what happens in reality, and this is what's really scary, is that sometimes you can even have your paperwork in place. But if you have a family member that disputes that, Mm -hmm. guess what happens? You get resuscitated, even if (laughs) I've seen it happen so many times, you know, you have a DNR, but a family member says, oh, no, you know, and seriously, I know that they mean well, but they're not doing what's in the best interest of that patient. And 
I can assure you the medical community and hospitals are going to follow whatever decision causes them the less likelihood of getting sued. And dead people can't sue. Yep. So that's kind of why you end up in the situation like that. So on top of getting your paperwork in order, you need to have those conversations with your family members so that they don't disrupt the situation because you cannot count on the hospitals to do the right thing. Yep. You're right. Absolutely. hundred percent. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. But that's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Another issue that I want to bring up here. Um, with, with the whole Kobe thing is I see people tweeting or talking on Facebook, having discussions that, you know, how come nobody cares about the other people that died in the helicopter crash? You know, the coach and his wife, the daughter, the other player, the daughter, um, and the, the, I believe it was the mother or father. And I think it's a conversation that we need to have because I don't think it's that we don't care about the other people that were involved. First of all, it took a lot longer for them to release the names and identities of these people than it did for Kobe and his daughter, because obviously they're famous. But secondly, there's a difference because with Kobe and even his daughter now, we grew up watching Kobe Bryant on the court playing. We grew up listening to his interviews. He was on game shows. He was doing charity work you know, doing Make-A-Wish. He was interacting with the average person and people knew who he was. I read a post from a woman who said that one time she was at church, um, you know, and, and she was Catholic. She was in church in the pews and she heard a big clop, clop noise. Like there was a big man coming and sitting by her. And she looked down and at the end of the row was Kobe Bryant. And she said, it was such a crazy thing to see, but you know, we didn't bother him because he was there to pray, just like the rest of us were. And at the end, you know, he went up and he received communion, just like the rest of them did. And that's what he did. He he was doing normal people things, but he was such a big personality and everybody knew who he was. So the difference here is that with these other people, and it's still a tragedy, and for me, I pray for them and other people send their good vibes or whatever it is they do. And it's it's heartbreaking. And I think about it all the time. But I've never even heard their voices. So in a way, I'm sort of disconnected from them because I don't know them like that. And not that I knew Kobe personally, but I knew how he talked, how he played, what he did. I knew that he was Catholic. I knew, you know, that he was this amazing basketball player and that he did things and did these charities. And these other people, just now are we starting to, you know, read some of the details about who they were. But again, I still couldn't tell you what any of them sounded like. Do you know what I mean? So it's a, it's a little bit different. And I think that's why people reacted much bigger to the news of Kobe and his daughter passing than the other passengers on the um, helicopter. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point. And 
obviously, you know, we didn't know these, most of us didn't know these other people. So it's kind of hard to have a connection and to feel great empathy, the same level of empathy for someone that you don't even know anything about their, you know, their background or who they were. The other thing I think that happens, and we see this on social media with other issues as well, it almost seems to me like in this particular situation, people will sometimes look for something to bitch about. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, you know, if you say A, somebody's going to find a reason to say B. If people are making a big deal about Kobe Bryant, then people are going to get offended because nobody else thought about the other people. Yeah. It's, it's a way of deflecting, in my view, away from the real issue. And what is the real issue? The real issue is many of us in this society are extremely uncomfortable about death and dying. And I think it would behoove us all to start thinking a little bit more seriously and more responsibly about the issue. And deflecting isn't going to help you get there. You know, it's just another tool for avoid, avoiding dealing with a difficult topic or a challenge. It is. I agree with that, too. It's, you know, it's just it's a sad thing all the way around. I mean, for everyone involved, it's it's a horrible thing. And I remember, you know. A lot of people are saying online, and I feel the same way, I'm always going to remember where and what I was doing, where I was, what I was doing when I heard the news about Kobe Bryant, because it's just, it does kind of bring your mortality within reach to you and make you wake up and be like, hey, wait a minute, am I living my best life? Because if I'm not, I better start now, just like Kobe was, because you never know what's going to happen, you know? So, And that's that's the point, is you never know what's going to happen. And therefore, when something does happen, it should not come as a complete shock and surprise because this is what happens in life. People die every single day. Mm -hmm. People die. Bad things happen. And if you spend your whole life trying to avoid that issue, then ultimately when it's your time, you're not going to be ready. Yeah. And if I can speak to anything at all on this topic, I can certainly speak to how it is that people die. Um, because over the years, like I said, I've been through this literally hundreds of times with people. And there are good deaths, and there are people who don't have good deaths. And most of the time, when I worked with people that were at peace with where they were at, and that they were ready to make the transition, their death was a completely different experience from people who were extremely fearful mm -hmm. and anxiety-ridden. And it's something that we all have to deal with at one point in time or another. And the sooner you deal with it, the better. And you made a point earlier that I think is really worth reviewing. For people that, this has been my experience as a therapist, for people who have been lived a long time during their life without having a significant death, a death of a significant person in their life. They tend to have real issues if they go into adulthood without ever having experienced death. And that's the other thing that I used to do a lot of um, counseling work with families in terms of children. Like, how do you tell, you know, do you talk to a child about death? How do you explain death to a child? These are all things that are extremely important. You can imagine how 
a conversation with a child is going to go if the adult hasn't got a clue what's going on in their own mind. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's even more important for people who are parents out there. You know, when tragedy strikes, and tragedy, I'm sorry, is going to strike sooner or later, if you live long enough, there's going to be tragedy in your life. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to sit down and deal with it. And when you're a child, you're actually better off being told the truth honestly so that you can learn how to adjust to death and dying in a healthy way. So in other words, you know, do it for your child as much as you need to do it for yourself. That's basically how we parent around here too. We don't really skip around the issue because again, since my daughter's been born, there's been probably at least 20 deaths of friends and family since she's been born mm -hmm. and she's only nine years old that we've had to attend services for, or, you know, so it, there was no getting around it. So we've always explained to her, you know, about death. And we, you know, just had a service a few weeks ago, a neighbor that my mom has had and that I grew up with for well over 20 years, he passed away from cancer. He was like a second dad in the neighborhood. And that was a really hard thing to go to, but he also knew that he was dying and he accepted that. So you know, I'm sure that it was a little easier for him. And his granddaughter had actually passed away a few years ago when she was nine from bacterial oh. meningitis. So his thing was, you know, I know I'm dying. I'm okay with it because I'm going to be with my granddaughter. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's whatever way that, that you can cope with it, but you're right. You have to come to terms with it at some point. And I think that's what this Kobe Bryant and his daughter and the rest of the people on the helicopter. That's what this is doing, I think, for us as a society and in the entire world right now. It's making us come to terms with something that we don't want to come to terms with, but it's necessary. Absolutely. And if this podcast or anything that I said, or maybe you said that will help people maybe take that next step in terms of their own personal growth, then it's absolutely worth the effort. And I think it's, I think it was important enough that we dedicate a podcast to it. I think so. I think so too. And it's not directly related to the bills, but I guarantee that it has had a giant effect on a lot of the players and the organization as a whole and the NFL and every sport and a lot of other people. So I think that this was something that we, when we talk about mental things and, you know, psychological things that we really wanted to talk about. Now, I will say one thing that I would I want to see trending and keep going is all the pictures of the dads out there with their little girls and they're saying girl dads, hashtag girl dads. I absolutely love that and it warms my heart. And I just want to see you guys keep posting that. And I know that was inspired by Kobe and his daughter Gianna. And I think that he would be so happy and so proud to see all of these bonding moments with your little girls out there. So please keep those tweets coming. Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Robin, before we go? No, I think I'm good. And if I came across kind of cynical, I just have to say it's been because I've had some very, very, very emotionally wrought experiences on this topic. So I apologize if my tone is, is a little um, on the harsh side, but it's something that I feel very passionately about because it's something that I've spent a great deal of time dealing with over the years. Yeah. And this 
this podcast is not going to be for everyone, this episode. It's a very emotionally raw episode, and we talk about a lot of things on it that people probably don't want to hear. So please feel free, if you don't like what we're saying, to shut it off. We won't be offended by that. But if you can take anything out of it, we would be thrilled with that. Now, before we go, please just make sure that you're listening to all of the other podcasts on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. They all do such a great job of keeping you up to date on all things Bills related. And now that it's the off season, some of us are talking about other topics that aren't exactly related to the Bills until all of that stuff starts back up again. But those podcasts are Believe, Blitzed Bills, Buffalo Rumblings Q&A, Breaking Buffalo Rumblings, Circling the Wagons, The Nick and Nolan Show, and our own Mafia Maven Show. As always, thanks for listening, and let's go Buffalo. Canva presents Unexplained Appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on-brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work.